I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. All right, welcome in, everybody. It's the Important Nonsense Podcast. I am your host, Steve Bonham. You can find me everywhere at nonsense underscore Steve. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Neil Smith. Neil, how are you doing this evening? Doing well. Doing well. Getting ready for that Thursday night football. That sweet, sweet Gardner Minshew-led Jacksonville team going up against Fitz Magic, our boyfriend, Preston Williams, on Thursday night. Oh, Oh, put it in my veins. Oh, no one else is excited for this game, by the way. The national literally zero people. Nobody cares but us. It's gonna be me, you, and Gardner Minshew's mom watching this game. That's it. And the Bud Light executives, because they got to protect that investment. And we'll have a hell of a time too. Hell of a time. Can't wait. Can't wait. All right. Well, we are talking about week three, of course, but we're also looking back at week two and whoa. I mean, the the one drop that we don't have on this whole board, Neil, is an ambulance. I need an ambulance drop on here because it was just... Uh-oh, I don't like the sound of that. That's what we had. We had a lot of that. We had a lot of Will Fuller. Oh, my hamstring. There was a lot, a lot of injuries all day long. Oh, By the way... The, oh, was... Hit him with the, oh, my God, why? Well, um, oh, wait, hold on. There's this no! one. God, please, no, no, this is, yeah, there was a lot of that from fantasy owners this weekend. So, I I mean, it was rough. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, the consensus one of one, easy, slam dunk in every draft. He's on the IR, short term, high ankle sprain, deja vu. After we just talked about this with Michael Thomas last week, we saw the play that it happened on. It was the down. Dove into the end zone. Defender dove on top of his ankle, twisted the wrong way, and here we are. He, he still had a good. I mean, he had a twenty-four. What a terrible day for Christian McCaffrey. What a letdown. Oh, probably cost you your week. Uh, so counting on those forties, if you got McCaffrey, a, I'm sure. Short-term IR means he's going to miss at least three games. He's out four to six weeks, though. Typically, that is the case with these high ankle sprains. We saw last year with Saquon Barkley, who got a high ankle sprain in week three, that he was able to come back in week seven, but didn't quite look like himself until near the end of the season. So how panicked are you right now as a Christian McCaffrey owner? And do you trust Mike Davis, who's now suddenly the next man up? Well, to go back to last week when we referenced the high ankle sprains, talking about Michael Thomas, it's normally, in theory, it's a six to eight week injury, but in the NFL parlance, it's usually four weeks because guys like to try and rush back. And particularly if the team is any good, the, there's, there's tremendous pressure from the organization and the fan base to get back as quickly as possible. Some guys are worried about getting Wally pipped and getting replaced. Uh, you don't worry about that if you're Christian McCaffrey. That's not going to happen. The The scary thing here, actually, for me, with is reference to McCaffrey, is if Carolina is going to be bad as bad as they were when he wasn't in the game yeah which is very possible they're likely not going to rush him back because he is their present and also their future so what is the sense in a lost season of sending my star back out onto this field to get hurt again The, the the panthers i think realize they're not really in playoff contention this year 
So I think in this instance, unlike the Saints, where Michael Thomas is going to be pressured to come back, Christian McCaffrey will likely be out for the full six weeks. He will come back when he is ready. And once and if that does happen, I'm actually not that concerned about it at all if he gets the full rest period and actually is allowed to heal. So I'm not really worried about it from that standpoint. It kind of nukes your fantasy team, though, because uh, your second question, well, how do I feel about Mike Davis? Look, we've had we've seen Mike Davis have limited success in the NFL before. Mike Davis is actually a really proficient pass catcher out of the backfield. And he had he he was on fantasy radars last year. So he's actually the only handcuff we've ever actually seen for Christian McCaffrey in a real way in his career. We've never known who the guy would be. We've talked about guys like Bohannon and Scarlett over the years. Never meant anything. This actually, I think, is actionable. And I believe he would be the number one waiver pickup for this week if I was the McCaffrey owner. I'm going to have to allocate a significant amount of my fab budget, likely because I just don't have any better options. And while I don't like him as a pure runner of the ball, if he's going to get 10 targets a week, which I think is real or more, he's an RB2 in PPR and and he's worth your he's worth your time and your investment and your fab dollars. So, not as good as McCaffrey, but he can he should be able to get you something. To your point, that team is booty. Yes. And that is that is the polite way of saying it. They are well, it's a family show. I've got they some are other bad. words. <laughs> got some bar language. They, they are one. aggressively bad. Uh so the Panthers, I think, are just gonna get roasted by a lot of teams this year. It it makes my Teddy Bridge love in the preseason look great because also our hype of Robbie Anderson is looking really good right now. He's like number four or five in the league in receiving yards, looking hot. This is, I like it so far, but it's a, uh, it's a gangster's paradise out there in, uh, exactly. in Carolina. I, to me, the one we have to talk about as well is Saquon who tore his ACL. Just brutal. So, and I'm going to tie it all together because I already brought it up last year. Saquon at roughly the same time of year had this high ankle sprain and he came back four weeks later pushed through it, looked not good for about four weeks, and then all of a sudden was great at the end of the season, but now with a lack of offseason comes in and tears his ACL. With how much money the Panthers have invested in Christian McCaffrey to make him their highest paid offensive player and the focal point of their entire offense, for them to rush him back, you're right, makes literally no sense. My concern is if they're 0-8 at that point, if we're talking six weeks from now and they're so bad that they're an 0-8 club and Christian McCaffrey seems like he's ready to go, but you see what has now happened with Saquon, what happened when they pushed him to come back in New York, even if McCaffrey says he's good to go, do you not just shut him down? What are you playing for? What are you putting your best asset on the field for? What are you risking years of his career for? To your point, if they're 0-8, that becomes a very real concern. That that they just decide, okay, well, we'll play for next year. We'll just get the band back together. We'll bring people back. It's not like we're paying Teddy Bridgewater a huge amount of money. So we can just kind of keep this going. And they have, in theory, enough skill position, guys, that that could be the model here, especially because it would give them another year to try and reload on defense. 
Yes. Because what do we know about their whole offseason? They were trying to fix the defense. It hasn't worked through two weeks. That defense is atrocious again. And I don't see how it's going to get significantly better through over the course of the year as people tend to get injured and things like that. They're just going to be bad. So I think that's it becomes a legitimate concern if they do go to 0 and 8. If yeah. they and somehow turn, manage to win four games, for example, I'm not as well, yeah. I'm not as scared. But if they yeah, are 0 and 8, you're totally spot on. Yeah. I would be freaking out. But in terms of, you know, like actionable advice here, you're right. I would say Mike Davis has back-end RB2 high-end flex potential right now, assuming he gets the entire job. He's just not going to rush enough. He's not going to be in enough positive situations. What made Christian McCaffrey so valuable is he was getting literally 95% of the RB snaps for the Panthers over the last two years. And why wouldn't so, he? Because it's amazing. Right, exactly. It. <laughs> I don't, they're not going to give Mike Davis, who's an older running back, all of that workload. He's still going to get spelled by uh, Reggie Bonifant. So it, it's it's not going to be in 100% his job. He's going to be off the field some plays, and they're not going to favor him in the offense as much as they were McCaffrey. They're going to check down more. DJ Moore is going to get even more targets. Robbie Anderson is going to be more involved. Curtis Samuel is going to be more involved in the slot, even though I hate Curtis Samuel. He's still going to be more involved. <laughs> maybe Ian Thomas can get off maybe his Maybe Ian bay. Thomas finally does something like, because of the be check great. down. It's, they're going to get more passing involved in the offense than ever before. The wide receivers and tight ends are going to have to become more options because you don't have McCaffrey, and I don't think they're going to utilize Davis nearly the same way. So he's going to actually have some value to your point, but not, not as much as you may be hoping for if you're replacing Christian McCaffrey. But no, there's I, no replacing of, Christian McCaffrey. That's I, not a thing. You I've seen replace. a lot of people like panic uh, trading or trading for like, Oh, I can get him at a value. I, again, same thing as the Michael Thomas. I'm nervous. I don't want to trade for Christian McCaffrey in a low ball scenario. And I don't want to trade away Christian McCaffrey with a low ball offer. If my team is good enough to sustain without him and then I get Christian McCaffrey back, great. Then I have Christian McCaffrey at the end of the year and I'm probably a playoff team. I'm not trading him away for nothing this early in the season. And on the other side of it, I'm not going to go make a trade for Christian McCaffrey if I'm 2-0 and because, oh, in six weeks I'll get Christian McCaffrey. Why am I trading away usable pieces from my roster that I can use right now when... To, to get a player who's not going to help me out for the next month and a half. Well, and if you want to get a look into my week, that's been the hot topic uh, of everybody that I've talked to. They all want, want answers to that question. And I will tell you now on this podcast what I have told each and every one of them. It's too early. I myself, who runs the trade section of this website, myself and Wes Smith, no relation, run the trade tables. This is all we, this is like, we spend a lot of time evaluating trades for other people. And what I will tell these folks is it's too early. It's horrible that that happened this early for you, for your team, for your prospects. If your team is not good enough without Christian McCaffrey to compete, I can understand why you want to panic. You need to go get Mike Davis. You needed to do that. And I'm sorry if you play in a league with traditional waiver settings that might have might have hurt you in that instance. But we've got other names that we'll get into later in the show that you can at least get a re some kind of replacement to have a, a body for running back. But I always recommend every year, you don't really want to get involved in trades until week four because you just don't know enough. We don't know yet definitive values. We've got, we can guess and we're going to do some buy low and sell high, which is hilarious in a little bit here. But there are things that we know through two games and this isn't one of them. 
We just don't know yet. We need to wait, monitor his status, monitor the injury reports, and and wait and see. I'm I'm gonna co-sign what you said. Preach caution here, and I don't want to run out and trade usable pieces to acquire him. It's too early because you might you might get nothing. You might really be kicking yourself through the buys that you did that when you can't field a team. And conversely, <clears throat> I don't want to panic sell him. A lot of the offers I've seen that people are offering for Christian McCaffrey are low-ball, hideous offers that they're trying to catch you. They're trying to catch you when you're you're on tilt. Don't fall for that. Don't be that guy who trades away the best player on your team, even though he's injured, for pennies on the dollar just because you theoretically need to compete. So well, don't- and that's at least a discussion with McCaffrey because he's coming back hopefully at some point. Saquon is not. He's got the torn ACL. They signed Devonta Freeman to come in and take some of that workload. Uh, again, don't get bamboozled by the Deion Lewis workload. Everybody looks at the numbers that Deion Lewis was able to put up last week, and that suddenly made Deion Lewis a hot commodity. Again, you had Saquon Barkley, so Wayne Gallman was a healthy scratch. Deion Lewis was literally the only warm body with Saquon out of the game, which is why he got all that workload. And even with getting literally all the workload, had a 15 in PPR scoring. I'm not over the moon about that. To me, I've seen people overreact on Deion Lewis. I've seen people way overreact on Devonta Freeman, who's had literally no offseason and has been sitting on his couch eating Pringles for the last two months. So I don't know. It, was it could be flaming hots. It could be. It could be bugles. I don't know. It could be. I don't know his preference. It could be onions. We don't know. We don't know. Now we'll do better and we'll research this and get back to you because this it's is probably not plain late. Probably it's, not. It's it could, maybe wavy. I don't. He, he could lays. be a wavy guy. What if it's he's a baked lays guy? Remember that? Yeah, it could be. We don't know. <laughs> sun it's chips. healthier. It's probably sun chips. Ah, uh, the, the fools healthy. This is chip. the debate yeah. you guys came here for. Was right. what kind of chips has Devonta Freeman been eating for the last two months while he's been doing nothing? But he's probably going to get acclimated into the offense in about two or three weeks. You look at Leonard Fournette, who had a whole offseason to work with the Jags. He got released, and it took him three weeks to become the feature guy in Tampa Bay. And yes, he is the feature guy. I don't want to hear anything about Rojo. Uh, it took him three weeks to get acclimated to that offense and fully step in with an offseason. So giving Devonta Freeman three weeks, I think, is generous. It's probably closer to a month, but let's say it's three weeks. Over the next two weeks, you'll have Deion Lewis and Wayne Gallman splitting the workload in that backfield behind a terrible offensive line, trying to put up numbers, which are going to be tough for them to do. And then when Freeman gets acclimated, all of a sudden he becomes the first and second down back. Lewis is the third down pass catching back. Again, Neil, you can go into your misconception that people have had about Devonta Freeman being a pass catching back in his career, which just is not the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. We'll, we'll mention that briefly. So it would, it would probably shock folks to learn that Devonta Freeman actually in reality is not that great of a pass catcher. And for example, by the numbers for their careers, Todd Gurley is a better pass catcher historically. Again, just math by the numbers. He catches more passes than Devonta Freeman does. Freeman's had more opportunities, but if you're just looking at by the percentages, Freeman's about a 65-ish, 68-ish percent pass catcher, which is not the narrative on him. People view him because of his stature and his profile as a pass catching guy. And I know we've also, they've got some narrative-based stuff going on there from his time in Atlanta when he did make some 
impressive catches that turned into big plays for, for, for teams. And that's what people retain. But in reality, he's not that great of a pass catcher. Deion Lewis, by the numbers, is actually a much better pass catcher than, than Devonta Freeman is to this point in their relative careers. It's just math, folks. Devonta Freeman is not the prolific pass catcher that people say that he is, because I think people think that he's up at around 80 something percent in their head, break it down 65 to 68. That's not what you're signing up for. He's but he's again, it just goes way. back to the point that he's not going to be a three down back no. and neither is Dion Lewis. It, it's going to be a committee. You're yes. getting a piece of the running game in the giants. So essentially you're saying if you took Saquon Barkley's workload and gave me one third of it, with a less talented running back. That's what you're buying into with Devonta Freeman and Deion Lewis. And is there any value in that? Again, we go back to the Mike Davis thing. Sure. On certain weeks, he's going to be an RB2. Either one of them. On certain weeks, they're going to have value, and especially during the buys. They're yes. going to be flex-worthy. They're going to be in the conversation for should I start them. But on a week-in, week-out basis, I cannot trust anybody in this backfield my bigger concern is the offense as a whole. I have been the one pounding the table for Daniel Jones. He's the guy I planted my flag for this whole season. Now, I, I, I granted, they played the Steelers, who are, if not the number one, certainly a top two or three defense in the NFL. And then they've played the Bears on the road. And the Bears seem to be a much better defense this season than they were last year. They're at least understanding the system better with Pagano after they lost Vic Fangio last year. So second year in the system, they look to be playing better and younger and the rookies are working. So they're also good healthier. for them. They're also healthier yes. than they were. So that is that. But that Giants line is terrible. And part of my narrative all offseason with Daniel Jones is that in the games with Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones was QB seven. So assuming that Saquon was there to take the pressure off of him in the passing game, Daniel Jones should have an elite passing year. He was still QB 13 in the games without Saquon, but he was better with Saquon Barkley on the field. Now Saquon's done for the season and the matchups get better for them. I mean, hell, they still get to play the Eagles twice. That looks great. Oh, that's that be, looks fantastic. Those are going to be insane games that they get that, to play the Cowboys twice. That looks great. But uh, Daniel Jones, as a truther, I'm concerned about. Darius Slayton is getting double and triple covered, and Evan Ingram had an okay week this past week, but he still looks like you know garbage Evan Ingram. You've got Shepard, who's now on the IR, dealing with his turf toe. You've got Golden Tate, who's been battling injuries this whole season still. I mean, Darius Slayton is the only guy that seems to be able to stay healthy, knock on wood. So now you've got that stack of Jones and Slayton that I'm highly invested in, and I'm scared as hell, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> well, justifiably so, because it's, it's very similar to the Cowboys' DAC analysis from last year. When you have that elite-level running back on the field in Zeke, good things can happen because they have three established pass catchers in Dallas. Well, they have three established pass catchers in New York. They had an elite-level running back. He's gonna, Daniel Jones was going to enjoy soft boxes for a lot of it, especially in Saquon as well. So, and, and a lot less pressure because they have to account for Saquon. They're not, they're not going to be trying to send additional pass rushers to disrupt Daniel Jones when they're worried that Saquon's just going to eat your lunch on some sort of dump off or, or a delayed run up the middle. 
you, you don't have that anymore. That luxury is gone. That's over. So now Daniel Jones behind that horrible, and I cannot stress how bad that offense, it's not the Eagles offensive line because that's going to get somebody killed, but it's not that much better folks. And Gettleman is going to be in for a rude awakening if Daniel Jones somehow manages to go down. Cause at that point, the whole team just goes into full on tank mode. The Sterling Shepard thing I think is being overshadowed because people aren't really talking about it because it's Sterling Shepard and he gets hurt all the time. And what's a big deal for the Giants because he's going to miss three games. They're running out of weapons. You've got this committee at running back that really most of it doesn't have that much value and especially predictable value. Golden Tate is the one that I think is actually moving up the rankings because at least you know what you're getting and he's going to have to get more involved for as long as he can stay healthy. And Darius Slayton's going to get double covered on every play. Because they don't, and they don't have to respect this running game anymore. So now I'm concerned that they're going to start on obvious passing situations. They're just going to start selling out and sending the house at Daniel Jones, and that line's not going to be able to help him. So that 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 throws cold water on all of our Giants' love from the preseason, all of it. And I agree with you. I would also be scared as hell. I'd be yeah. The only way that out. you can that you can kind of like scheme your way out of that, uh, to Aiden Ware's point that we were talking about earlier in the week is the quick passes, the slants, what Golden Tate has done well his entire career. Until Golden Tate, out of the slot, starts catching or getting like 10 to 15 targets a game, having 7 to 10 catches, because he's just getting the little dump-offs and then running with it. For the record, right Um, now he's averaging 5. Yeah, until that's a threat, uh, until him being involved in the offense and it's not just throw it to Evan Ingram over the middle or throw a deep shot to Darius Slayton until they change up the offense a little bit and it gets more than one dimensional. They're going to be in a lot of negative situations. Daniel Jones looked good last year. I don't think he's looked terrible this year. I think he's done the best he can with what he's got, but they're double covering Slayton and there's no reason for defenses to stop that until someone else on that offense can prove that they're a threat worth guarding. And right now, nobody is doing that. So until Golden Tate has a boom game, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be tough sledding for Darius Slayton, for Evan Ingram, for Daniel Jones, for all of them. Unless the running backs can establish themselves and Golden Tate can establish himself as a threat, it, that whole offense is gonna be rough. Yeah, and I think you and I are on the in the same boat on that where we're pretty much telling folks, I mean, good luck. You're just gonna kind of have to ride it out because right now yep. Slayton's not going to get you what you want or what you would need, I should say, in a return trade. Neither is Daniel Jones. None of it is going to be able to get you back what you would invest in it to begin with. So you're just going to have to ride it out and you probably don't have better options. But this goes back to it too. This is a good time to kind of like remind people, PSA, what we talked about all offseason. Daniel Jones is a guy I was sold on, completely high on, top 10. There's no guarantees, obviously, but also He's a guy I believed could finish top 10, but there was no reason to pay that because his ADP was going outside of the top 15. So you could get a guy like that with that potential later on. And then if you were smart and paying attention, you got a guy like Matt Ryan or a guy like Tom Brady to pair with Daniel Jones or Cam Newton who has looked great so far or Garner Minshew, all guys, Ryan Tannehill even. All guys you could get later in drafts with Daniel Jones that we all were high on that have had hot starts, but Daniel Jones has not. So if you've been following our advice, you should still be fine. 
Like Darius Slayton yeah. was probably your fourth or fifth wide receiver. We were hoping for top 20. Now I'm nervous about that. Yeah, you're probably we'll not going to get the top 20, but the, that's the nice thing about Darius Slayton is that in, if they could ever figure out a way to make somebody else a real threat so he doesn't get single double covered on every play, he has that top end burst and ability that he could still get there just on the upside based on and the again, idea that he catches it's two weeks. Shots. We don't want to overreact. They played two really good defenses in two weeks, so they're, they're going to get easier, juicier matchups. Not not overreacting to anything, and that's going to lead right into our next segment, Neil. So we're going to take a quick break and then go back into overreactions from the first two weeks. Our friends at Monkey Knife Fight combine the fun and excitement of Vegas with DFS to make the ultimate daily fantasy prop game. That's right. And there are three ways for you to play. Stat Shootout, Rapid Fire, and more or less. In Stat Shootout, you put together a two- or three-player team that'll accumulate the most of whatever stat type you've chosen to play, like touchdowns, total yards, receptions, etc. Then you choose one of the three target goals for that stat. If your team exceeds the chosen goal, then you win. And the higher the target goal that you choose, the more you can win. So if I choose a three-man team for touchdowns, I can set the target at one and a half touchdowns to pay out one and a half times the entry fee, or I can go big with a target of three and a half touchdowns to pay out 15 times the entry. I mean, obviously you go big or you go home. Obviously. Then there's rapid fire, where you select your team by choosing the highest scoring player in multiple head-to-head matchups of statistical categories, like who has more receptions this week, Michael Thomas or Julio Jones? Each contest will tell you how many matchups you need to get right in order to win. But again, more risk, the higher the reward. Sure, I mean, I only need to get two out of three matchups right to win one and a half times my entry. But if I can get five out of five, I'm looking at that 15 times payout again. You can buy me a lot of John U. Smith jerseys with that money, Neil. You sure can. Finally, there's more or less. Just depending on the contest, you'll be giving two to six players and their statistic targets for the game, like Cam Newton with 233 and a half passing yards against Miami. You have to decide if that player will get more or less than that target. But just like the others, more or less increases the payout the more risk you take. However, it offers the highest return as well. So you can go two for two to get that basic one and a half times payout if that's what you want to play. But if you've got the nerve you can attempt to go six for six and hit the 30 times payout. So many Janu jerseys. Well, the only thing better than winning money from Monkey Knife Fight is getting money from Monkey Knife Fight for free. Oh, do love the free. Just go to Monkey Knife Fight to sign up for a free account. When you make your first deposit, use promo code NONSENSE. That's promo code NONSENSE. And Monkey Knife Fight will match your deposit up to $50. This is literally playing with house money, guys. So go to Monkey Knife Fight and use promo code NONSENSE, N-O-N-S-E-N-S-E, and get in on the action this weekend. All right, Neil, well, continuing on what we were talking about last week, overreactions from week one. Remember when we said don't overreact and do something crazy? from uh the the week one results remember that yeah i do i do no one listened to that by the way no 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 one bothered to to listen to any of that but yes we did say that several times actually yeah so uh we talked about things like hey naheem hines getting involved 
We said in the offseason that he was going to have a role as the third down back, and it was going to be him and Marlon Mack. Jonathan Taylor would work his way in on first and second down, but everything we heard was that Jonathan Taylor wasn't really a pass catcher, wouldn't be involved that much on third downs, so Naheem Hines was still going to have a role. Week one happens. Naheem Hines basically splits the snaps with him after Marlon Mack goes down, but we were you know, pleasantly surprised to see Jonathan Taylor getting some work in the passing game. Then we go into week two when they're in positive game script, destroying Minnesota, and Naheem Hines gets one target and is barely on the field, and it's just the Jonathan Taylor show. And I think we're just going to see a lot more of that, but if you paid a lot of fab for Naheem Hines, you are hating life right now. Yes. Yes, and that's yeah. actually why we had suggested drafting Naheem Hines at the end of your draft. <laughs> yeah. you something. So that way, if something like this was to happen, you don't burn your fab budget and it could pan out. And if it doesn't, then you can cut him at some point and not feel too bad about it. But never mind that, because that's not what people did. So yeah. yes, you hate life because it's not just the one target for the one reception for four yards. That was the only play he got on the field, Steve. Yeah. It was That <laughs> was it. He went from being heavily involved in week one to... to a total afterthought in week two. And the narrative that is being pushed right now is that, look, you can't cut bait because you invested too much of your fab budget in all likelihood to, to, to do that. And I, I, I agree. I think it's too early to just cut Naheem Hines and be like, well, that failed, but he's going to have to ride it out on your bench a little bit. And what's going to be really frustrating is I think there are going to be weeks where Naheem Hines is a top 20 running back play, but picking them is now going to be nearly impossible. Because it's going to be game flow dependent. And in games where the Colts are behind and they're chasing, Naheem Hines probably gets more involved and could actually pay you off. But in games where they're going to be winning, and like that Vikings game last week where they were just dominant because the Vikings defense is untenably horrible, there's that you're going to have some of those weeks where if they're winning, Naheem Hines is going to be getting that blue. Just enjoying that, that blue. But I would say too, I think we both agree that Jonathan Taylor has now worked his way into the top 10 of running back, especially given the injuries. I think there's no question. He's a top 10 guy right now. On the updated trade table from yesterday for me, and we'll see where Wes has him uh, tomorrow morning. Jonathan Taylor slots in as RB seven for rest of season. And I, and to be honest with you, I don't think he's done, but that's, but that's, that's where it is. Yeah. So So I would say that Naheem Hines more than anything has value as Jonathan Taylor's handcuff. Correct. And that is how I am actually. So if someone wanted to cut bait, I would gladly own Naheem Hines as the Jonathan Taylor owner because that's my handcuff. If something happens also, to him, it's the Hines show. And we saw that in week one. And that'll be great because you'll be you're, you're, you're getting an RB two. what I would. The other reason I'm not cutting Naheem Hines, and I'm glad you brought that up, is because, well, I'm actually not cutting Naheem Hines because I want to trade him to whoever has Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. Can't do it right now. But in a couple of weeks when people are evaluating playoff rosters, and if you have Jonathan Taylor, you're probably looking at your team like a playoff team, unless the rest of it is really bad. Uh, I'd be interested in picking up Naheem Hines on the cheap at some point when we get close, further into the season as my handcuff. I, I'm going to want that uh, for sure. Uh, Benny Snell's another one. And again, that's not even on us. That's on the Steelers. That's their fault. Okay. <laughs> Take that, Mike Tomlin. We know you're listening. Week one. Week one, James Conner looks like absolute garbage. He splits time with Benny Snell, and Benny Snell is the significantly better back. Conner gets hurt, and Benny Snell puts up a 100-point performance. Neil, on the Sunday morning pregame show, 
on NFL Network, Ian Rappaport, the NFL beat reporter for NFL Network, was reporting that Benny Snell impressed the front office so much that he was going to get half of the snaps and be splitting the carries with James Conner, and his sources inside of the Steelers organization were telling him that Benny Snell had a legitimate shot at taking over the starting role in the backfield for the Steelers. He was reporting that Sunday morning, and then the game happens, and Mike Tomlin gives 75% of the carries to James Conner. If you were predicting that James Conner was going to get a huge amount of the workload, it's because you're in the Conner family or you're a James Conner truther. One or the other. There's, there was no indication that they would want to get James Conner involved because he's aggressively terrible. And then he goes out, I cannot believe the amount of people, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but I can't um, believe the amount of people on Twitter and on the internet talking about James Conner looking good and being back. Ugh. I, I wanted to rinse my eyes out with acid after watching James <laughs> Conner's performance. It was that aggressively terrible. It was bad, and we'll get into a deep dive on James Conner here. But if in the you next spent segment. a bunch of money on Benny Snell, you're highly disappointed, and I can't blame you because he was the better back. We all know that the best back in Pittsburgh is Anthony McFarland. He just hasn't touched the field. Well, no, you and I know that. Uh, a yeah. lot of people don't know that. <laughs> no, everybody listening to this show knows because we've said it enough at this point that you should know the best back in the Pittsburgh backfield is Anthony McFarlane, and he will be the starter when he gets the shot. But they just haven't given him the shot yet. They're still putting well, Jalen Samuels on the field. He's been yeah. hurt. So to, to that point, Anthony McFarlane has been dealing with the concussion and various other maladies that have kind of thrown some cold water on that. But it's a long season. And I think by the end of the year, we're still going to be right about that. And he's the one that you can get for virtually nothing uh, on the uh, on the cheap right now. And if you paid all that bad money for Benny Snell, I'm sorry. I don't really know what to tell you. You're going to have to just stand yeah. pat with it because I won't cut him because I don't believe in the James Conner stuff. And I can't trade him because no one will give you anything for it after that performance where he had a negative in week two, an actual negative number. Yeah. And it, you're just Again, stuck. Yeah, to your point, you can't get rid of it. We saw that he was able to have a 100-yard game in week one against the Giants' defense. All he's waiting for is James Conner to take his 432nd injury, and he all of a sudden is a starting running back as an RB2 again. So, Benny Snell, you absolutely have to hold on your bench. Peyton Barber, we aggressively told you to not go after. If There's no analysis. There's no analysis that, here, by the way. This is just you. us patting ourselves on the back because <laughs> there's nothing that you can do about that either. You can cut Peyton Barber. Feel no, free. Yeah, go right ahead. Like, if you spent fab on Peyton Barber, that's your fault. You shouldn't have done that to begin with. Just cut him. Yeah, I hope you learned a lesson about. I hope you learned a lesson about that because we've seen. And Peyton then we Barber talked about years. things to keep an eye on being the Cleveland backfield with the splits there and the Baltimore backfield. Was it game situation? Because it was the same game. So was it the game script? that forced that to happen, or was that the way they wanted to do it? For Baltimore, J.K. Dobbins was rarely involved in the game plan. It was mainly Mark Ingram until they got up, and then they worked in Dobbins. His only value 
was he caught one 27-yard pass in the third quarter. That was basically it. J.K. Dobbins, still not a weekly starter. Mark Ingram, still the one you want. And once again, in garbage time, they worked in Gus Edwards to get carries. So it does seem like in competitive games like they should be in this week, that Mark Ingram is the guy who's getting a majority of the snaps, playing a majority of the goal line work, that it just happened to be the two carries J.K. Dobbins got in week one in the red zone ended up in touchdown. And he converted them both. Yeah, Yeah, and Mark Ingram also out-targeted and caught more receptions than either of the other two in that game. So you can feel pretty good about Mark Ingram correcting himself. And then we also told you to keep an eyebrow raised for Nick Chubb because of a brutal first week where it looked like Kareem Hunt may be coming for that money after getting that that contract and just totally leaving Nick Chubb in the dust. And lo and behold, clearly the Browns the Browns saw that and were like, no, 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 no. Because in a game where they were housing the Cincinnati Bengals for most of it until the end when they kind of took their foot off the gas, Nick Chubb was involved early, he was involved often, and he made me personally feel a whole lot better about his role with the team. And what's crazy is, given how that wonky that team is, Chubb and Hunt are both going to have value looking like. Yep. So don't if you did we hope you didn't panic on Nick Chubb and do something dumb because if you sold it for pennies on the dollar after one game, which we explicitly told you not to do, <laughs> you're you're kicking yourself hard right now and you should be. However bad you feel if you did that, you should I'm telling you, you should feel worse. Like so that's 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 what it is and Nick Chubb should be fine for the rest of the year. And if you have Kareem Hunt, you're going to have weeks like that. He bailed you out with a touchdown. Yep. Congratulations. He's a, he's a weekly flex. He is. You'll be fine. 42. So with that said, those are all guys that we over, or not we, but were overreacted on from the industry in week one. So now don't get trapped. Don't get trapped by these hot starts or slow starts. So first of all, sell low, or I'm sorry, sell high, buy lows. So of course, we're going to go right back to the well. James Conner. James Conner. On Sunday, everybody's talking about how he's back. It looked so good. He had two catches on his two targets for 15 yards. He had 16 carries for 106 yards, and he had a touchdown, right? But what's getting masked is the fact that in the fourth quarter, he broke off a random 59-yard run. So when you eliminate that 59-yard fluke in the fourth quarter, He had his two catches for 15 yards and 15 carries for 47 yards, 3.1 yards per carry. And again, I will continue to remind you that the average last season for NFL running backs was 4.4 yards per carry. James Conner coming in at 3.1, so impressive. Oh, so good. (laughs) 8.2 PPR fantasy points without the touchdown accidentally falling in the end zone gave him a 14 he looked like hot garbage and again he continues to deal with the knee injury he's dealt with soft tissue issues his entire career there's no way he sustains the full season and he definitely isn't going to give you a 59 yard rush every week don't be shocked when he puts up a 10 this weekend james connor a guy i'm absolutely out on again look they're playing the Houston Texans this weekend. So there's every chance he puts up a 30 now that I've oh, said yeah. that because they, oh, yeah. their defense is aggressively I've terrible. Defense. I've seen that run defense. It's not good. But at the same time, there's every chance that he runs directly into J.J. Watt in the second quarter and he's just done for the rest of the game. 
And then we're right back to the Benny Snell show. So no, if I can get anything for James Conner, I'm doing it. Yep. I agree with that. I co-signed all of it. And that 60 yard run that he put up was such a fluke because that Denver run defense is actually okay. They really, they did a really nice job of containing him for most of the game until the very end when he hauled off a 60 yarder on him. It's such a fluke that I can't believe it. And the fact that people don't see it is distressing to me. I'm questioning people's critical thinking skills. This is also an example. Well, real quick. It's also an example as to why we tell you all the time. You can't just look at box scores. You have to actually like break the box score apart and figure that out because this is how you can end up falling into these traps is you just look at the box score and you see that and you're like, what's the problem? Without that 60 yarder, he's pedestrian at best. Yeah, he was about 3.1 yards per carry against the Giants, got hurt 3.1 yards per carry against uh, the Broncos, and then had the 59-yard run that threw everything off. Yeah, so go and get yourself something nice with your James Conner shares because somebody's going to overpay in your league for that because they're not paying attention. I promise you, you can get something nice because running back, as we've talked about already, is disappearing quickly. We've lost two of the top five. For one for an extended period of time, one for the season. There are people that are desperate. Someone will overpay you for James Conner. Let's move on from that, though, because we've spent a lot of time on it throughout the show already. And let's talk about another sell high. And this one may catch people off guard. Miles Sanders is one of my guys that I want to sell high. And I can already hear the internet screaming if you just tilt your ear like to a seashell. But he's so good. Okay, folks, he missed that game in Washington. I can't really hold that again. Okay, he missed that first game week one. But let's break down his his game that everybody is so, so quick to tell me. He's back after one game against the Rams. Rams are a decent defense through two weeks. We've seen that. So it is, it's not without noting. He had 20 carries, 95 yards, and a score. Um, he had three receptions for 36 yards to get a 20. And everybody is just flying to the internet to say, see, see, he's so good. He's so good. He was woefully inefficient behind a horrible offensive line, which is not going to get any better throughout the year. I know people are saying, Lane Johnson's coming back. I don't want to hear it. That's a Band-Aid at best. That's not going to solve your problem. If he doesn't get you that volume of a minimum of 20 to carries, and really, I think I'd say he needs 25, and he, to, in order to be able to, to get that 100 yards that he needs to get on the ground, because he's not going to catch enough passes with Boston Scott still there, 20 is not going to be the average for Miles Sanders. And given that it's the name Miles Sanders and what people's value is that they assign to it in the open market versus what is real, go sell Miles Sanders and get yourself something nice. Go go get go trade Miles Sanders and help yourself to Leonard Fournette and something. That's what I would that's what I'm actually telling people. Go 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 parlay that into Leonard Fournette and a flex receiver for yourself. Because that's what the market is right now. And Miles Sanders is never never going to return that for you when we get done at the end of the season and start going through the wrap-up show. So I know we've said, I've said it myself, you don't want to do trades before week four. There's a few things we know, and that is one of them. James Conner, Miles Sanders, these are definitive sell highs through two weeks because if you don't get on it soon, you're going to get stuck with it for the year. You know what else we know? Tyler Boyd is not good at football. We do know that. We know we know that for sure. Now again, James Conner, Miles Sanders, Tyler Boyd, these are three guys that if you listen to us and follow this show, you don't own anyway. So good, good for yeah, you. Good. You, you, you could just, you could you actually just hit it. forward 30 and get to yeah, the exactly. lows. Yeah. However, if for whatever reason you, you auto drafted these guys, whatever happened to you, uh, another Tyler Boyd is another one. So again, completely out on Tyler Boyd. We talked about it all off season, how, yes, he's finished his top 20. 
Last year, he finished top 20. He was seventh in the league in targets. And still, without his two best games, his 30-plus boom games, he averaged enough to be wide receiver 41 on a points-per-game basis. Aggressively trash. What a value. The Tyler Boyd truthers all offseason kept trying to say, oh, but he's going to get the targets. Joe Burrow force-feeds the slot. Joe Burrow threw to the slot in college because his slot receiver was Justin Jefferson. When your best player is in the slot, you're going to throw to the slot a lot. If Justin Jefferson played the outside, he would have thrown to the outside. But he threw to Justin Jefferson, who happened to play the slot. He also threw the tight end a ton. But remember, you know, he doesn't do that. No, it's just the slot. Convenient. Tyler Boyd's going to be force-fed targets. A.J. Green is completely done. Joe Burrow loves the slot. He's going to be great. Well, through two weeks... Tyler Boyd has 13 targets. That's 32nd among wide receivers, which is right around where his ADP was. And you might be thinking, hey, that's not too terrible. Joe Burrow has 97 pass attempts. That is number one in the NFL. The average NFL quarterback right now has 59 pass attempts on average. And he's got 97. Yeah, Joe Burrow hit that games. number in, in week two by itself. There's no way he's going to sustain that. And even at his absolute peak with 97 targets, Tyler Boyd still only has 13 of them. That should tell you everything you need to know about his involvement in the offense. And if it doesn't, week two, Joe Burrow threw the ball 60 times against Cleveland. And yes, Tyler Boyd saved his day with that late touchdown. In but, functionally garbage time. Yeah, but on passing plays, whether it was C.J. Uzama or Drew Sample, the primary four tight out. end. Uh, four one out, C.J. Uzama. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm going to miss the that. The primary tight end got 14 targets from Joe Burrow. A.J. Green got 13. The primary running back, whether it was Giovanni Bernard or Joe Mixon, whoever happened to be the back in the backfield at the time, got 10 targets, then Tyler Boyd got eight, T. Higgins got six, and the wide receiver four, be it Mike Thomas or John Ross, got six as well. So you're talking about Tyler Boyd being the fourth option on the Bengals' passing offense. You're literally banking on them throwing the ball 60 times a week for Boyd to get eight targets. I mean... He is going to get no volume whatsoever. He has looked bad. He got an opportunity in the red zone and just dropped it because that's Tyler Boyd. If somebody <laughs> looks at just the box score and wants to give you literally anything for Tyler Boyd, I am taking it sell high easy. Yeah, that's a simple one. And you shouldn't have Tyler Boyd to begin with. Show so, but let's do this a little out of order. Let's pivot into buy lows because we got to hustle through these. Let's actually yeah. just go right into AJ Green. Let's just do it. Because A.J. Green set one of those records on uh, Thursday, last Thursday, that you don't want to have, where he got 13 targets and only caught three passes for about 30 yards. Okay, that's distressing, but it's yeah. also impossible to continue. That is yeah. that is a record. He is on a short list of like three guys that have ever done that before. It's not so, the kind of thing that's going to happen again. And so A.J. Green, in a word, is a buy low. But let's take a deep dive at it here a little bit. To your point, he has 16 PPR points right now, which is wide receiver 62. If you use 
uh, expected points. So expected fantasy points basically takes the targets slash pass attempts slash uh, rushes, whatever it is, per play, per fantasy opportunity, if you will, that the average player, given their involvement in an offense, will get. So based on his involvement in the offense, A.J. Green's expected points right now are 42 PPR fantasy points, which would be wide receiver six. But for whatever reason, be it dropped by A.J. Green or a bad pass by Joe Burrow, he only has 16 PPR points, is wide receiver 62. If you can bring, you are getting a top 12 wide receiver based on his volume and involvement for basically nothing. So go buy A.J. Green if someone 100%. wants to give up on Hundred percent. Could not agree more. A.J. Green is a guy you want to target yeah. because and people, if to look at the internet, people are frustrated. Yeah. And so Allen Robinson and D.J. Moore, using the same logic, by the way, fit into that same category. They're right behind... AJ Green in terms of not producing the expected amount of points based on their volume. Allen Robinson's at wide receiver 50, DJ Moore at wide receiver 21. However, based on what people had to invest draft pick wise, which was significantly more than AJ Green, they're probably less likely to be willing to give up on him so quickly, which is why I'm recommending AJ Green is the guy you go after. If someone yes. spent a fifth round pick on AJ Green, they're probably willing to let him go. Yes, and they probably are, are looking for flex options and things like that. So you could make a nice package offer of depth things on your team to go ahead and invest in Jay Green, which I would do. And then let's let's wrap this up because we've got two more quickly. One is, and this is a crazy one because normally I am not the guy to recommend investing in rookies in two games into their career with no offseason. But here we go. <laughs> CD Lamb. I wrote him up for the trade table. He has 15 targets through two weeks. He's already well over 100 yards. Dak is looking for him early and often, and he looks phenomenal. This is your opportunity. It, the train is leaving the station. People are going to start picking up on this in a big, bad way where they might not have caught on to it yet that he's that involved. Go and get C.D. Lamb while you still can, while it's still affordable, because it's the window is shutting very rapidly. And I would recommend it because not only is he a flex option now, which is further along than we had expected him to be in his involvement, he's going to be a wide receiver too by the end of the year. And he's the future. He's the future of yep. the Cowboys. He's the future of that team. And if I'm playing in a keeper league or a dynasty league or something crazy like that, I want C I want all the CD lamb shares. I can get my greedy little, the big loser here is Michael Gallup. Unfortunately, who CD lamb has 10 receptions. Michael Gallup has 10 targets on a team that is just chucking the ball all over the field. That, that CD lamb is coming in and he is disrupting everything. That is the guy that I want. And go do it now because you're not going to get many more opportunities at this given given the where he's trending. But as of, as of through two games, you still can. People aren't totally sold yet. And if the guy who has him in your league is, is looking for something, I, I will go and, and make that offer right away. So CD Lamb could not could not recommend more highly, which is insane given that he's a rookie. But there it is, folks. Welcome yeah. to 20. And given the same game. logic behind the AJ Green that I talked about before with the whole negative uh, expected points. The only two running backs in the the top three running backs right now, all right, in negative expected points are Derrick Henry is number one. He's expected to be a top five back, but is outside the top 20 right now because he hasn't gotten in the end zone. Just again, the amount of touches compared to the amount of fantasy points they've actually garnered. So Derrick Henry is number one. Saquon Barkley is number two. And number three is Zach Moss, heavily involved in that Bills offense. Yes, there were two good matchups where you thought that he would be able to thrive, 
but clearly he is the better back in that backfield. He is getting opportunities. He just has to convert them into fantasy points. Once the touchdowns start coming, once the catches start coming with these passes from Josh Allen, then Zach Moss is going to be a back-end RB2. You can book it right here and right now. If somebody wants to give up on the rookie, go make a low-ball offer. And again, Zach Moss, CeeDee Lamb, A.J. Green, if even Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, if, if you own any of these guys, stay the course. Patience, We're, patience, yeah. folks. Be patience patient because it's going to pay off for you. Yeah, you're, you're, don't overreact to any of that, as we've said before. And so with that... Yeah, with that, we're going to take a quick break, Neil, and then we're going to come back and we're going to have a little bit of fun here, play a little game. All right, let's play a little game. All right, we're back. And we talked about overreactions, things that we saw in the first couple of weeks that clearly will not sustain. But Neil, what is real? That's the game here. What has happened in the first few weeks that is actually going to maintain as the season goes on? So I'm going to give you some statistics from two different players. You try to tell me the players that I am talking about. So, all right. First example, player A. All right. Player A has 28.5 PPR points. They have 35 rush attempts and five targets with 0.29 fantasy points per snap. Player B has 25.3 PPR points. So just three less. 35 rush attempts, and three targets. So roughly the same, but 0.41 points per snap. Do you know who I'm talking about? Well, I think player A is Austin Eckler, and player B is Josh Kelly. You are 100% correct. That is that is absolutely right. And we first of all, Justin Herbert starting this week after the freak accident. <laughs> I think with, he got Wally. Uh, I, think he Wally I think he Wally pipped Tyrod Taylor already. Could you could you hear the uh, the air quotes around freak accident? Yeah, uh, that was just, yeah, totally did not happen on purpose. But no, with uh, Herbert looked good against Kansas City, and more importantly for fantasy purposes, he was targeting Austin Eckler. He did it. You did actually it. threw the you ball to it. your best wide receiver. So Austin Eckler was actually getting targets, getting involved, but so is Josh Kelly. He's getting targets, and they had the exact same amount of carries through two games. Josh Kelly has not played as many snaps, but he's in the red zone. He's the one with the rushing touchdown to this point. Josh Kelly, to me, I have it in my rankings. They are both mid-RB2s. At some point, Kelly probably passes him. We will see, but he has been the more consistent of the two to this point. Josh Kelly is for real. So if he is available in your league, you needs to go get him. And I would say trade for him, but you probably don't have to. Go check the waiver wire. Yeah, he's owned in only 50% of leagues right now. So yeah, he's widely available. Go out and get Josh Kelly. Uh, all right, number two, Neil. Player A has 16 receptions on 22 targets for 239 yards and four touchdowns with a 25.5% team Target share. Impressive. Just hot start. Player B has 15 receptions on 21 targets for 160 yards and one touchdown with a 24% target share. Extremely similar numbers. Do you know who I'm talking about? Well, I think it's Julio Jones and Russell Gage, or it could be Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb is who that could actually be. But I'm going to go with... Julio Jones and Russell Gage, who I'm going to go with. So player A is Calvin Ridley. 
Oh, okay. Who is dominating the league right now. And player B is Russell Gage, who only has one less reception on one less target. The difference in their fantasy points is literally the three touchdowns. I mean, that that's it. He's got 80 less air yards, but other than that, it's the three touchdowns for Ridley that make the difference. Calvin, or yeah, Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage use just as much. And look, Julio dealt with the hamstring injury in week one. He played through it in week two, but didn't look good. They have said in their reports this week that he made it worse by playing through it in week two. This Russell Gage experiment is not going away. We told you all offseason, don't sleep on it. Here we are. And also widely available. Don't yep, even need to again. go trade for Russell Gage. You can just go pick that up. He's only owned in 40% of ESPN leagues. So help yourself to Russell Gage, who is at this point, for my money, a weekly flex consideration until something goes ping. That's and it. And then we got one more. Player A has 25 total fantasy opportunities. So that would be uh, rush attempts slash targets. They have 148 yards total with 24.8 PPR points. Player B, 27 fantasy opportunities. So just two more. However, 72 total yards and 20.2 PPR points. Do you know who those players are? Oh, is it Jordan Howard and Miles and uh, and Miles Gaskin? Uh, you are close. Player A is Miles Gaskin. Player B, I uh, I cheated a little bit. Is the combination of Jordan oh. Howard and Matt Breida? Oh, I'm counting that. I got I'm it. Cool. Is literally the two of them combined, <laughs> <laughs> and they are not putting up the numbers. Miles Gaskin is. Miles Gaskin is the starting running back for for the Dolphins. He's getting all of the work. And as I said, 24.8 PPR points. He had a 10.8 and a 14 in the first two weeks. And he hasn't touched the end zone yet, folks. When he starts scoring touchdowns for this team, he is going to be a top 20 weekly option in PPR. We talked about all offseason as well. They, they spent the money to sign Howard. They spent a pick to get Brita. And Patrick Laird would be the pass catching back more than likely. What role would Miles Gaskin possibly have on this team? Well, <laughs> Howard and Brita have been buried, and through two weeks, he's been dealing with injuries, but through two weeks, Patrick Laird has just two targets, while Miles Gaskin has 11. He is the pass catching back. He is the he is the rusher. He is the goal line back. I mean, my good Matt Brita and Jordan Howard, by the way, I said 27 fantasy opportunities. They only have two targets. All running backs combined who aren't named Miles Gaskin have four targets. Gaskin has 11. He has a clear-cut role on this team. He is the one you want to own. Amazing. And widely, even more widely available. Only owned in 30%. And that's after waivers ran, by the way, folks. Uh, yesterday, or this morning, depending on who you are. Uh, Miles Gaskin, only owned in 30% of leagues. So nobody is is buying into this yet. And... The only value Jordan Howard has left is this t weird touchdown vulture that that's it. They just they 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 put him in there and he's looked dreadful. He's been inefficient. He can't find the hole. He looks slower than ever before. Jordan Howard. Yeah, Jordan Howard. I'm sorry. What did I say? Either way, Jordan you Howard. You said is what Miles I mean. Gaskin. But My yes, apologies. Jordan, yeah, Howard, Jordan Howard is what I mean. He only has that role. That's all they have him do. When they get into the actual like red zone, they give him a couple cracks and he's looked really bad. And then here comes Miles Gaskin at the goal line anyway, which is 
it's maddening, but the Dolphins are proving once again that even though they're going to be bad and they're going to lose a lot of games, folks, they're not going to win anything. That defense is still way too bad to win anything. They're going to move the ball. They're going to they're gonna move the ball, and they've been doing it to this point. They they couldn't beat the Bills, but they they didn't have any problems scoring a bunch of points, and it's because it's Ryan Fitzpatrick who's never yep. seen a double-covered receiver that he didn't love. They're well, gonna- I mean, look, speaking of moving the ball, putting up points, but not being able to win games, that's going to wrap us up uh, for the Thursday night game tomorrow. If you want to check out, I'm going to have my full picks up on the website this week. I've got the Jags winning covering the three, and hitting the over at 48. So there you go. I got the Jags on the money line. I got them covering (laughs) the three-point spread and hitting the over. High-scoring game on Thursday. Like I said, we're excited for it. We're the only ones. Yep, it's going to be fun. we're looking forward to it. Well, and we were were uh, going to take you behind the curtain. We were going to do a little bit of a segment we did last week in terms of picking uh, picking up and reacting to people's questionable waiver decisions through two weeks. And there is one thing, because we talked about Thursday night game. Gardner Minshew is for real, folks. We didn't, we couldn't really shoehorn yep. it in and do a deep dive. But in the same way that bad quarterbacks can have value, well, Gardner Minshew is actually proven not just a bad quarterback who can have value. He's actually a decent quarterback who can have value and is going to move the ball. Only owned in forty percent of leagues. If I'm looking yep. for a QB two for my team, you can't really Miles do much worse Gaskin, than that. Miles Gaskin, like you mentioned, the thirty-one percent, and Preston Williams, who's only fifty-six percent owned. Look, he's still getting targets. He's lower than you'd like, but he's the number one guy. He's drawing the number one corner. Better things will, will come. He's better than Devonta Parker. They're forcing the ball into him. It, he's going to have better days, and tomorrow might be his breakout. You're playing Jacksonville. Come on. Yes, it's so, two bad defenses. There's going to be every chance. You're not starting him this week, but there's every chance you roster him, put him on your bench, and you will not be sorry heading into next week. Yeah. So for the latest news, injury updates, and full preview of all the games happening this weekend. Make sure you're checking out the Trust Your Bus show on Friday with Jack and Jason. You can catch it out uh, Friday night, every Saturday morning, every week. It's it's entertaining. It's entertaining. You can listen to that. <laughs> that's inter- no, that's entertainment. <laughs> it's entertaining. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday. Uh, Neil, where can the people yell at you oh, on the you internet? Can yell at me on the internet at nonsense underscore Neil on Twitter and the Fantasy Life app, and people love to do that. <laughs> you can also check out the trade tables here at Important Nonsense run by myself and also on... Uh, uh, the, the next day, Mr. Wes Smith, no relation. And feel free to uh, hit us up about that, about how we're wrong about some of these player values because we don't love James Conner as much as you do. I mean, that's fair. Uh, and then you can follow the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NonsenseFF. You can follow us in the Important Nonsense community page on the Fantasy Life app. Make sure you're subscribing to the pod wherever you listen. Leave us a five-star review. Uh, follow me everywhere at Nonsense underscore Steve. And until next week, make sure you just keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!